having the ability to sort of create barriers around yourself, uh, both, you know, in the physical world and in the digital world, and to be able to manage um, the relationships that you have with people to protect yourself um, is massively important um, so that you've got the ability to selectively reveal um, information about yourself with the with different people or entities if, if it feels right to you. Welcome to Bitcoin Basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host, Gordon. That's me. I'm flying solo today. No Faris, my partner in crime. And before we get started, let's do our proof of recording. Today's date is the 21st of September, 2021. The current price of Bitcoin is $43,190. The current Bitcoin block height or block number is 701,532. And one US dollar equals 2,312 Satoshis, according to the Clark Moody dashboard. Today, we have a special interview with Bitcoin Q&A. He's anonymous. He is what we call a NIM. So for those watching on YouTube or other video platforms, you're not going to see a lot because he's not on video, nor is myself. So you may want to head across to our other audio platforms. Everything is available at bitcoinbasics.help, including our podcast platforms, video platforms, recommendations, and even a help desk. Bitcoin Q&A, as you'll discover in the interview, is a really pragmatic and and practical person when it comes to explaining Bitcoin core concepts like privacy. And even though today's episode is high level and we tried to keep it uh, sort of beginner and, and newbie friendly, there's a lot in there. So have a look at the description of the show notes. And of course, head across to his site, bitcoiner.guide to uh go down the multiple rabbit holes. So without further ado, here's the interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Welcome, uh, everyone. We have Bitcoin Q&A here with us. Uh, He was on my radar, actually, when I listened to the Citadel Dispatch podcast, probably, I'm going to say about a year ago. Um, and then checked out his amazing site, which I'll get him to tell us about in a moment, Bitcoin.guide. By the way, I'm insanely jealous about that domain. How, how did you get that domain? <laughs> uh, so just a point of clarification, it's Bitcoiner.guide. Bitcoiner, um, sorry, my bad. Yeah, somebody would already snagged Bitcoin.guide, unfortunately, um, which I think uh, redirects to some non-Bitcoin related site, unfortunately. So if somebody pit me to the post on that one. Um, but ironically, the the my my domain bitcoiner.guide was um I, I think i snagged it for like nine dollars uh i couldn't believe it when i stumbled across it i think it's just the fact that the uh the dot guides aren't as popular um although they seem to be gaining quite a lot of traction in the bitcoin space so uh, i kind of just got lucky really and and found one at the right time I, I i keep an eye on some of them um from time to time and i've noticed that the prices have started uh started to, to, to creep up. So I think maybe a, a couple of people are catching on and the, the markets are reacting. It's a fantastic, it's absolutely fantastic domain. Um, I, I Actually, I tell a lot. I did actually go to bitcoin.guide 
and there was a privacy section on there. I, I won't say it's the best site in the world, but there was a privacy section on there. And then immediately below it was like, sign up to Coinbase, sign up to Binance. So, <laughs> yeah, good, good one. So a bit of a first, we usually, uh, we, I don't think we've ever had a NIM on our podcast. I'm pretty sure we haven't. So um, I've kind of docked my, docked myself and so has Faris as well. Uh, we run a podcast and a business. Um, I'll say I lightly dox myself. There's not a lot of me out there, but but why anonymous? Why why anim? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, I kind of did it uh, by by accident. I did it out of uh, sort of um, a personal privacy, really, and just not wanting. Um, sort of people in my immediate area to know that I was a Bitcoiner just from a security perspective. This is back in sort of 2018, I think I spun up my uh, Twitter account. Um, in fact, no, it was 2019, I stand corrected. Um, so I just did it just from a, a sort of a security perspective that I just didn't really want people to know that I was buying this this asset that um, that I was kind of holding uh, myself as, it, as is uh, intended. Um, then I sort of slowly, as I sort of fell further and da- further down the the proverbial rabbit hole, um, it, it, I very much fell down the privacy rabbit hole. Um, started to um, mix with the um, the more privacy focused uh, corner of Bitcoin, and started to kind of understand the power um, that being um, pseudonymous online gives you, uh, in terms of, you know, the ability to, to speak your mind and the ability to, to sort of say things with, uh, less fear of, of, um, repercussion, uh, and, and also the ability to preserve my own sort of, yeah, and my family's security by not being a public figure, um, in a Bitcoin space where, um, particularly if you're sort of, fairly well known it's going to be kind of assumed that you're holding your own keys um depending on your setup they may or may not be uh, or at least one of those keys might be in your home which might paint a fairly big target on your back uh, and make you somewhat interesting to people who might want to get their hands um onto your bitcoin really so um it, it kind of started out just i just did it because uh it just there was a lot of people on Twitter, and then uh, looking back now, I'm really really glad that I did because I've gained a you know a somewhat modest following, um, and become a, a you know a bit more of a well known figure. Um, I'm just really really glad that I'd I took those steps you know back in 2019 to um, start building a, a bit of a reputation, but doing so under a pseudonym rather than my uh, my fiat name, as I like to say. <laughs> That's great. And obviously you keep that for Bitcoin meetups and all that kind of stuff as well in, in real life. Yeah. So uh, interesting fact, um, I've only obviously for, for the most of my um, quote unquote kind of Bitcoin career, um, there hasn't, you know, we've been in some form of COVID hysteria and there hasn't really been that many uh, in-person meetups. So uh, with the exception of two guys uh, from, from the UK, Bitcoin scene that I met up with last week. I haven't actually been to any in-person meetups, um, so it's not a, a um, problem that I've had to deal with just yet. Um, so it's, it's yeah. although I do really want to get out to some uh, conferences, probably in the US next year. Again, um, 
COVID dependent, I guess. In um, it's uh, it's a problem that I'm going to have to face as to whether I make myself known when I'm when I get there, or whether I um, just lurk around uh, and and just turn up as a as an unknown face. Yeah, I just wear a wrestling mask or something like that, or it can be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I might might make me stand out a little bit. <laughs> true, true, true. Um, yeah, so how about we get into it? And I always forget this till the very end. So how about you just uh, plug yourself without doxing yourself? Do you want to give us all your resources and um, perhaps then tell us about your well, tell us about your pre-Bitcoin story up until Bitcoin. <laughs> Yeah, so um, obviously I won't share my sort of full uh, life history. Um, all I will say is that I'm, um, people seem to have this common misconception about me that I'm some form of um, uh, developer uh, or coder. Um, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, my my sort of pre-Bitcoin history is very um, uh, sort of uh, working with my hands, let's say, um, absolutely not tech-based. Um, this is something that I've learned to pick up uh, since I started, again, falling down the proverbial rabbit hole um, and drinking from the, the, very much drinking from the fire hose and banging my head off a keyboard for many, many an hour in the evenings, much to my wife's dismay. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I get a lot of DMs of people come to me asking me really, really technical questions, just assuming that I'm, I'm you know, somebody behind, say, a, a, one of the node implementations or, um, you know, a Bitcoin core contributor or, or anything like that. And again, couldn't be further from the truth. I'm just a guy who likes to to um, get his hands dirty. And, and, and what really sort of uh, lights a fire in me from a Bitcoin perspective is um, more, yeah, I guess more of the technicals of like understanding how the protocol works. Um, again, compared to, say, a, a core dev um my understanding would be at a very high level but probably more so than some newcomers maybe um but it's something i strive to understand more and more every day um then equally uh, the privacy aspect obviously if, if anybody's looked at my site they'll see that privacy is a big aspect of of the way that i interact and talk about bitcoin um, and things like uh, nodes um, and just generally helping people um uh, interact with Bitcoin in a more um, self-sovereign way, uh, and and in, again, in my eyes, the way that um, Bitcoin was intended to be used. You know, we see um, a worrying trend of people uh, heading towards uh, custodial uh, solutions. Um, I completely understand why people do that, um, because generally, the custodial solutions, especially around the the Lightning Network. Um, offer a really, really slick and easy to use um, user interface. Um, but obviously that's, with that, you're trading off some privacy uh, and definitely some sovereignty um, with obviously the custodial nature of, of that interaction. Um, the, the rug could be pulled from under you at any time. So I gear my, um, my guides and my, my website towards ensuring people understand the risks of, of using things like custodial um, solutions um, and try and push people towards more self-sovereign ones where, you know, the paramount is, uh, as the old adage goes, uh, not your keys, not your coins, um, making sure that everybody's in, con if they own any Bitcoin, that it's not on an exchange, it's not with a custodian. 
um, and then it's it's in a, a wallet where they control the private keys. That's the absolute paramount of, of what I try and teach uh, and the content that I try and put out. Uh, so yeah, as you said, um, my website is bitcoiner.guide. Um, if you head there, you will get um, a, a big long list of different types of articles. So I've got articles on all of the most popular wallet implementations, node implementations, uh, how you can purchase Bitcoin, uh, and interact with Bitcoin privately. Uh, we've got really basic uh, Q&A, which is where the, the NIM name originally started. Uh, just a simple question and answers um, section for absolute beginners, just to answer some of the most common uh, questions that pop up, um, especially when entering the, the, the space. Uh, we've got, um, I've run a, a Bitcoin monthly uh, index, which um, highlights the main news and developments from the last month within Bitcoin. And then I've got, again, uh, guides on uh, the different types of wallets, nodes, uh, multi-sig, uh, Lightning Network. Yeah, there's, there's something for everybody there. Um, and probably you could probably lose a fair few hours uh, digging through it all. Um, but what I will say, there's, there's probably a, for somebody just getting into the space, there, there is an overwhelming amount of information there. Um, it's broken down into nice little chunks. So um, I would I generally advise people to sort of start from the top of the list and slowly work their way down um, as they get more and more uh, interested in, in sort of uh, digging a little bit, bit deeper and hopefully um, they help them become a little bit more sovereign. That is absolute music to our ears because uh, we're all about self-custody and uh, InfoSec and OPSEC best practices. So um, that's one of the reasons why I really appreciated your your website and your guides. It's really comprehensive, but it's also laid out in sort of a simple, you know, take your time. Uh, it is overwhelming with all this information. Um, but yeah, I really appreciated sort of the step-by-step -step nature to it. You don't have to do everything day one. And I think for me, actually, a frustration with the space is, you know, something like privacy. It's sort of all or nothing which it's not, but a lot of people think it is. It's kind of like, well, there are people who buy Bitcoin and leave it on Coinbase. Then there are people who, you know, run their own full node, do coin joins, um, you know, air-gapped, air um, you know, Linux laptops. You have to, you know, it's it's one of those things. But um, I like your pragmatic and sort of practical approach to it. You don't have to have everything done sort of, you know, day one. You can sort of level yourself up and sort of, you know, improve prove that over time. So really appreciate that. Yeah. I like to say as well that the website is is definitely um, kind of my proof of work, if you like, or proof of learning. Um, because whenever I create a guide, I, I do so initially out of a, you know, I'll be open and honest, um, out of partial self selfishness, I guess, where I really want to understand the specific topic, let's say the Lightning Network. Um, and, and if I want to be able to write somewhat eloquently about for, for somebody else to kind of interpret that and, and help them on their journey, then I need to ensure that I have a, a certain level of understanding so that I can uh, put that across in a manner that uh, obviously number one makes sense, uh, but number two is that is kind of approachable um, so that people can kind of pick that up and, and hopefully um, share that with others as well. So it's kind of a, uh, um, I kind of bring everybody on 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 my journey with me. I guess is the way the place that it comes from. No, it's absolutely fantastic. And 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 again, I'll put links to everything that you mentioned in the description. But I mean, all people need to know is Bitcoiner.guide. Head across there, and um, 
as a former teacher, I know that uh, if you can't explain something, then you don't really know it yourself. So uh, you explain it really, really well. So appreciated for that um, on behalf of all the Bitcoin educators out there. Did you know we provide a help desk at BitcoinBasics.help? Do you need help buying Bitcoin on an exchange or transferring your Satoshis to a Bitcoin wallet? Perhaps you need assistance with setting up a desktop, mobile or hardware wallet. Is your security hygiene up to date? We provide individual, one-on-one support regardless of your understanding of Bitcoin, size of investment or level of technical ability. Visit BitcoinBasics.help. So let's get to it. Uh, Why is privacy important? I mean... How about from perhaps um, before we get to sort of blockchain, non-Bitcoin. So everyone nowadays, you know, we're talking on Zoom and everyone's doing work from home or study from home and online banking or whatever. Why is privacy important? Yeah, so um, it's one of the uh, fundamental rights, human rights, essentially. Um, Having the ability to sort of, create barriers around yourself, uh, both, you know, in the physical world and in the digital world, and to be able to manage um, the relationships that you have with people to protect yourself um, is massively important um, so that you've got the ability to selectively reveal um, information about yourself with the, with different people or entities, if, if it feels right to you. Um, Governments um, of, the world at the moment are doing a fantastic job of, of marketing the real need for privacy, especially with, again, with, with the COVID hysteria, there, there are privacy infringements going on left, right, and center. You know, you've only got to open um, your, your latest news app to see the latest draconian measures that are being taken. Um, you know, some examples where you, you now need to show your papers to uh, dine in a restaurant in France, um, you know, something that, um, would have been unthinkable just a couple of years ago is now deemed, deemed as the norm um, in in some countries in the world. Thankfully, there are little pockets of resistance. Uh, I like to sort of uh, think of myself as, as playing a small part in that. Um, but yeah, wh- why is privacy important? It just allows you the autonomy to share what information you need or you want to share with the people or entities that you want to share it with rather than the opposite that governments seem to think that the um, the default is that they know everything about you uh, and they'll use that uh, information as and when they see fit. Um, so the ability to sort of take steps to um, fight back against that is massively important. I'm sure we'll probably get into some of the tools um, and techniques that, that people can use in various aspects of life where they can do that. Absolutely. Um, we can go on about the politics, which frustrate me and probably you <laughs> as well to no end, but let's, uh, let's avoid that. But um, I will say the, oh, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to worry about, just annoys me to no end because people yeah. have got it completely backwards. They've got privacy really should be an opt-in. It shouldn't be, as you said, like by default, the, everyone knows everything unless you say, no, I don't want you to know that. It's the complete opposite. No one should know anything unless you choose to selectively reveal something. So to me, that's what privacy is about. 
Yeah, and the frustrating thing is, is that all of these these new measures are always done under the guise of it being for the greater good or to fight criminal activity. When in reality, the, these measures that infringe on human people's uh, right to privacy um, generally catch very few criminals, um, and it's the small guy, you know, me, you, anybody listening, that gets uh, tarred with that same brush. Um, and gets sort of uh, affected by the dragnet surveillance and the databases that are shared with governments. Um, yeah, it's a real shame. Uh, thankfully, there are tools where you can slowly start to take back uh, your, your sovereignty and your privacy. Um, and those tools, thankfully, are, are getting easier and easier to use as the need for them grows. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with this question, because this is usually a question that everyone asks. Bitcoin being public and the blockchain being transparent, aren't you just sending you know, one sort of seemingly random address to another seemingly random address? Why do we need on-chain privacy? So I think it starts initially, you're absolutely right, by the way, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, the ledger uh, is completely transparent. So if you were to send a transaction to me, um, although the names aren't, our names aren't sort of stamped into the blockchain, um, it would, uh, anybody could go and see that your address sent to my address. Um, where people kind of trip themselves up, unfortunately, and has, has become uh, the the norm and the de facto way to, to purchase Bitcoin is through a, a KYC um, on-ramp. Now, I completely understand why that is the case. Again, it's because of user experience. These KYC on-ramps um, provide a really nice, shiny user interface for people to um to, to purchase Bitcoin in a matter of clicks. Uh, the caveat to that is obviously they have to uh, upload their driver's license, the name, their address, all of their, their various information. So what does that effect, what, what effect does that have? Um, so let's say we'll use uh, the, the, the super evil Coinbase as an example. You go into Coinbase, you provide your information, you buy a million Satoshis. You then withdraw that to a wallet that you control. Um, you know, hopefully it's a cold storage wallet, like a, a passport or a cold card or something like that. Um, it, it's obviously when you withdraw Coinbase, see the withdrawal address and it will be assumed um, that you're sending to yourself. So Coinbase know exactly how much you bought. They know when you bought it and they know the address that you sent it to. If you were to then send that on to, to another address um, or to split it up into various other addresses, again, all those transactions are transparent. Um, so it's, it's, it's absolutely trivial um, to know where your Bitcoin's gone, um, uh, when you bought it, when you sent it. Um, so how can you combat that? Well, there's, there's two uh, ways to do it. And this is kind of, uh, might sound scary to some people, but I absolutely promise everybody listening, it's really not as, as difficult as, as some people make it out to be. So number one, you can uh, buy via a no KYC source. So essentially what that means is you can buy Bitcoin without the need to uh, essentially tag it to your um, in real life identity or, you know, without the need to provide any um, formal identification to do so. So that just immediately sets you up two steps ahead of the next guy who's tagged all of his Bitcoin to his personal address um, because you can receive Bitcoin to an address um, and the only person who knows where that Bitcoin's come from is the uh, wherever you bought it from. So some examples are Bitcoin ATMs. 
Um, now, this is kind of geographically uh, dependent. Uh, unfortunately, I'm from the UK and Bitcoin ATMs are not exactly uh, abundant. Um, however, if you're in the US, uh, they're pretty much everywhere. Uh, they are now allow you to buy um, Bitcoin up to, uh, it depends on the on the branding of the machine, but some of them allow up to $900 per transaction. You can buy that with just a phone number. Uh, or you've got peer-to-peer markets like BISC and HODL HODL. Uh, where you're essentially buying from um, another person. Um, so um, you can do that via cash methods in person, uh, which obviously comes with some security risks. Uh, you need to kind of be wary of who you're trading with. Uh, or you can do that online via banking services. And now I can hear people jump into conclusions going, well, hang on, if I'm buying using a banking service, um, well, the bank's going to know um, that I've just bought Bitcoin. Well, the the kind of the kicker here is that um, all the bank sees is you making a transfer to another person. Um, as long as you don't put in the sort of payment reference of you know this is for Bitcoin off uh, Mister Jones, um, then all they see is that bank transfer. The actual Bitcoin transfer is done within the um, within the uh, the sort of trading protocol. So BISC or HODL HODL was two of the examples that I used. So the two are kept completely separate. Um, and the only person within that peer-to-peer trade that knows that you've bought Bitcoin is obviously the person who's selling it to you. So instead of um, buying from a, a regulated entity who is absolutely or very, very likely to be in bed with uh, some form of government um, entity because they have to to operate, um, you're sharing your information with one other person um, who is very likely a privacy conscious person because they are selling via a peer-to-peer marketplace. Um, unfortunately, that isn't a reality for most people and most people have already got some form of um, KYC stack of Bitcoin. So what can those people do to sort of um, uh, take back a little bit of privacy? So um, there are CoinJoin implementations um, where you can sort of Uh, send your Bitcoin to the service. That's probably a bad way to put it because that makes it sound like you're losing uh, custody of your funds. If you use a service like uh, Samurai Whirlpool, um, it's a a non-custodial CoinJoin implementation where you can take part in a CoinJoin transaction, which is essentially just a collaborative transaction where you take part with other privacy-focused individuals Uh, You'll put your Bitcoin together into a transaction and it's structured in such a way that um, the the people, or sorry, the UTXOs, the pieces of Bitcoin on the input side of the transaction uh, cannot be uh, deterministically linked with any level of certainty to the um, piece of Bitcoin on the output side of the transaction. Um, A good way to to think about it is it kind of... um, melts them all down together uh, and then recast them into um, completely uniform pieces of Bitcoin. Um, That's a really good way to gain some what's called forward-looking privacy. Uh, And essentially to to keep it, try try and keep it simple. um, It's like building a brick wall in the, in the history uh, of your Bitcoin. So any Bitcoin that you move after you've gone through a coin join, providing you do so using best practices, which are probably outside of the, the realms of this uh, short podcast, um, you can look at that as a, as a bit of a brick wall. So anybody that's trying to follow you uh, on the, across the blockchain um, would come up against this transaction and be like, okay, well, there's five outputs on this transaction. Um, 
Gordon could be any one of those um, outputs. So if I want to be able to track him further after this transaction with any level of certainty, I'm going to have to follow all five of these entities. Um, and this privacy benefit grows exponentially if you were to take part in multiple rounds of CoinJoin. Um, it kind of grows and grows because the, the the number of paths, if you like, where the chain surveillance firms need to need to follow to be able to show that they're sort of uh, keeping up with you grows and grows and grows to the point where it just gets unfeasible um, unless it's a very, very targeted attack on a single individual for them to be able to say with any level of certainty where your Bitcoin's gone after that transaction. That is a fantastic explanation of the sort of the preemptively buying no KYC Bitcoin and the, oh, I've already bought Bitcoin, sort of the post-mixing coin joining. I think what we'll have to do is have you back on uh, for an entire episode on coin joins because, um, yeah, there are a lot of people probably listening to this who already have Bitcoin, but they bought it on Coinbase or Exchange or, or whatnot. So probably want to uh, delve into that. But just leaving that aside for a second, essentially the best way to uh, keep your privacy is to buy non or no KYC Bitcoin. What are the trade-offs? Like, you know, it's super convenient to go onto Coinbase, uh, completely KYC yourself and buy Bitcoin. Um, if you do it, the other methods you said, ATMs using BISC or HODL, HODL or some sort of peer-to-peer -peer ex exchange, what are some of the disadvantages and trade-offs? Yeah, so um, user experience is going to be number one. Um, like I said before, you can go on to um, something like Swan Bitcoin or Cash App and, and literally buy Bitcoin in, um, you know, maybe three to four taps. Um, if you were to uh, compare that to something like BISC or HODL HODL, um, you've got to go on there, you've got to set up an account. Uh, you'll then have to look for... Um, uh, people who have, have made offers uh, to sell Bitcoin using the method that you want to to use to buy it. So let's say um, you wanted to look specifically for um, a, a certain banking service in your country. Um, now with that, obviously, you're wholly reliant on somebody wanting to sell using that method. Uh, so depending where you are and what type of payment service you choose, uh, there's going to be limited liquidity uh, or limited offers for you to um to, to sort of uh, to, to what well, to be able to take those offers and purchase the Bitcoin. Um, if nobody's offering that, you can't buy Bitcoin privately at that time. Um, due to the peer-to-peer -peer nature of it, um, people come online and offline all the time. Um, so you're you know you're probably best uh, looking to do this um, in the sort of waking hours of your uh, jurisdiction, if you like, because that's when it's most likely to be people online. Now, obviously, this can be mitigated uh, if you've got access to uh, services like, say, Revolut, where you can um, send payments in pretty much er any currency. Um, obviously, that opens up uh, essentially the whole world uh, or the whole world within Revolut, if you like. I'm just using them as an example. Um, but it, it opens up a much wider liquidity pool for you to be able to buy from. Uh, the other kind of risk... Um, Sorry, let me just go back. The, the, the way you can sort of mitigate that. Uh, so let's say you go on to, to HODL, HODL or BISC, and there's no offers at the time where you want to go on for this, your specific payment. 
method, uh, what you can do is you can set a buy offer. So you can go on there and say, um, okay, uh, I want to buy uh, a million Satoshis. Um, here's the percentage uh, over or under the spot price that I'm willing to pay. Um, and here is my payment method. And then people who want to sell, so it works both ways, they can come along and find your buy offer and they can take you up on that. Um, while, you know, you might not even be online and you just get a notification on your phone and say, you know, this person wants to sell you Bitcoin according to your offer. Great, you can then go on and complete that trade. So there are ways you can mitigate it and be savvy about it. I think you've just got to have a little bit more of a low time preference. Uh, and it's definitely one of the trade-offs that come with wanting to use these options to preserve your privacy. You aren't going to be able to go on and just uh, smash by um, Bitcoin uh, as as whenever you like, essentially. The, the other yep. consideration also is um, these... Um, these methods work on um, like an escrow service. So um, while that provides great security uh, in terms of that the the seller takes the risk essentially. So if you take if you were to take a buy offer, you can go on and say okay, I want to accept this offer. Um, they the seller then has to deposit the funds into an escrow account, which is like a, a, a in most most of the time they're like a two or three where you'll have uh, one of the keys, the seller will have another key um, and then the the service operator, so HODL, HODL or BISC will have a third key. So once they've deposited that Bitcoin, you don't need to send any fiat until you've got confirmation that that is there. So um, the seller is the one taking more of the risk. Um, however, there, there are very, very um, infrequent uh times where sometimes the you may get a malicious seller uh, and and although you're not going to lose any funds for it because you can go through an arbitration process with the provider to get your funds back it's just going to be a pain in the backside unfortunately I, I will hand on heart say that i've never had to do that and i've been buying uh, using these methods for uh, at least 18 months now i've never had to do it but i just want to make people aware that there is you know a very very small risk um, of that yeah, thanks for that. Um, so if I could just summarize, because um, you, you mentioned so many good things there. Uh, buying Bitcoin from, say, a KYC exchange, you basically get no expectation of privacy, at least not from the exchange and perhaps you know certain three-letter agencies. Whereas that at the very least, buying from, say, a peer, peer exchange, like using BISC or HODL, HODL, both of those services we linked from our website because we absolutely love them, bitcoinbasics.help. Um, you're at least sort of limiting the amount of information to at least the person you're buying Bitcoin from, essentially. Um, I mean, that's as, and unless you're going to buy Bitcoin with cash from your friend or something like that, that's probably about the best you can hope to achieve, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It comes back to what I said earlier about selectively revealing information about yourself so if you're doing a peer-to-peer -peer trade you're selectively revealing you know potentially your your banking information to a single peer um even the the sort of hodl hodl or bisque they wouldn't be able to see that information whereas if you were to go to cash app or or a centralized service you're giving them your information and then who knows what they're doing with it after that who knows what subpoenas they're going to get from uh, governments to say okay um, I want to see everybody that made a transaction over $500 in the year 2019-2020. That's happened regularly. Um, so although you, 
upfront you're sharing that information with with a single entity um the likelihood is it's going to be shared onwards multiple times thereafter yeah really good point um and 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 a lot of people say you know it's really difficult to use these services it's not um yes perhaps it's not as easy as a coinbase or a binance or an exchange but uh hodl hodl to a lesser extent, BIS, but certainly HodlHod is fairly user-friendly. And, and I've actually had one support request with them and they've been really, really good. So I can, I can definitely recommend them. So on that note, what would you say to someone perhaps listening to this who is pretty overwhelmed? They want to maintain sort of some level of privacy, but, um, you know, they don't want to, you know, run their own Bitcoin full node and use the Tor network and all that kind of stuff. What would you say is sort of a good first step? Yeah, real basics, I guess, would be to um, just simple things like not telling the whole world that you own Bitcoin um, would be probably be a good start. Um, another simple tip for, for privacy is not to reuse Bitcoin addresses. Now, this has got really, really easy in the last sort of uh, couple of years um, with the wallet standards that have been implemented. Um, essentially, if you're using a non-custodial wallet like Blue Wallet or Samurai Wallet, uh, every time you hit the receive button, you're gonna it's going to automatically generate a new receive address for you anyway. Um, however, some people are still stuck in the mindset that they think that they, they've, they've seen that first address and then they just sort of, I don't know, write it down or they save it in their notes on their phone. And every time that they receive Bitcoin into that, let's say they're doing a, um, they're buying Bitcoin regularly uh, and they keep receiving back into that same address. What that does to, well, anybody looking at the blockchain is it shows common ownership um, of all of the pieces of Bitcoin. And every time that you, do that next purchase and that next purchase. If it's all landing back at that same address, you're essentially telling everybody that can look at the blockchain, which is the whole world, that all of those pieces are belonging to exactly the same person. Where the best practices now with the wallets are to receive to a brand new address uh, with every single transaction. These addresses are absolutely free. Uh, you can generate an unlimited amount of them and they're all controlled by that same single um seed phrase that hopefully most people here who set up their own Bitcoin wallet will be familiar with. Um, so just little simple tips like that, that um, have been made very, very easy by the, the the wallet teams and the wallet developers and equally the the Bitcoin standards, I guess, um, to make the very basics um, just really simple and, and de facto the standard. Yeah, that's really good information. That's something we stress all the time. Uh, on our show and and there is information leakage like you know the exchange you know ip addresses there are all kind of fingerprints even if you've got uh, certain mobile wallets or, or hardware wallets some of them actually do leak uh, a lot of information um, those are sort of the best practices and also I, I don't know if you agree with this but um, i'm pretty persistent in terms of uh, non-bitcoin but online security as well and whenever someone wants to buy Bitcoin, I kind of recommend that they start from scratch. And it sounds like a lot of work, but sort of you're creating sort of another persona. You know, you want to buy Bitcoin, set up a new email address, an email address that you don't use for work or personal, whatever, separate email address, password manager, VPN, Tor, all that kind of stuff. What do you suggest to perhaps someone who is prepared to, to buy Bitcoin? 
Yeah, I think that's very, very wise. And I'll use an example for that is if if you weren't to, to follow your great advice there about sort of using a, like a segregated email account, um, perhaps a VPN or even the Tor network. So let's say you, um, you're just getting into Bitcoin um, and you start to buy from a KYC service. Um, a lot of these KYC services like to send you an email every time, you know, let's say you set up a weekly or a monthly buy. They'll send you an email to say, congrats, you know, your your purchase of $500 of Bitcoin um, is, is now in your account. So not only have you shared the information that we've already covered with the, the, the exchange that you're buying from, but now Google knows because you just received that email to your Gmail account um, that you're buying regularly, you're regularly buying Bitcoin. Um, and who knows what, you know, Google don't exactly have a great track record for um for, for users' privacy, particularly around email. Um, so who knows what Google is doing with that information? You know, they now know that you buy Bitcoin. Who are they selling that uh, information um, to, presumably to other companies that are marketing? Um, and you can look at it as a bit of a virus that can spread uh, across, you know, various marketing databases um, across the world. Um and anybody that follows me on Twitter will, you know, I like to shine a light on every time one of these uh, centralized databases gets hacked. Um, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll use some quick examples of the most recent ones um, of sort of database hacks. Um, there's a, one in India called MobiQuick, 99 million users, um, KYC information, phone numbers, personal addresses, all got leaked. It was for sale on the dark web. Facebook wow. have had one, LinkedIn, Air India, T-Mobile, Clubhouse, I know that's a Bitcoin favorite, uh, a more famous one, Equifax, uh, BlockFi, Ledger. Um, all of these companies have had their centralized databases um, hacked into and all of that information has been shared to, to the highest bidder. And I say the highest bidder, sometimes it's shared freely. Um, and if this, if this is um, Bitcoin, uh, specific information you know in the example of ledger um that was a real big one where their their uh, database was hacked uh, it had email addresses home addresses uh, and phone numbers for anybody that had bought one of their hardware wallet devices from them uh, over i think it was like a two-year period now that is essentially um painting a red cross on the door of everybody who owns Bitcoin and or, you know, quote unquote crypto, um, because essentially if they're buying one of these devices, they're doing so because they want to secure it. Um, uh, well, they want to look after it themselves and secure it in their house or wherever they're going to keep that device. So the, the simple decisions that you make day to day that you might think nothing of, like purchasing a hardware wallet and giving them your information or purchasing Bitcoin, uh, with your personal identity, it might come back to bite you in like 10 years time when one of the databases gets hacked and the wrong person gets their hands on this information and decides that they might want to uh, pay you a visit or, or even the, the more likely, um, the more likely um, uh, outcome that we've seen specifically with the ledger hack is that the hackers were sending phishing emails to everybody on this database uh, essentially saying that um, that their ledger device had been compromised and that they needed to follow uh, follow some link that was in the email and enter their C phrase so that they could ensure that they could do like a safety check on their ledger device. Now, obviously, 
um, that has dire consequences. And unfortunately, there was multiple people that got stung by that fishing attack where they'd um, got spooked, um, thought that their, their funds might have been at risk. They followed what looked like a really uh, professional-looking email. Um, and they unfortunately entered their their seed words for their Bitcoin wallet into a, a web address where the hacker was sat there waiting for them. And they just immediately stole all of the funds within that wallet, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And all of that stems from Ledger's centralized database uh, being hacked or them not securing your personal information, uh, which is why I'm so um, passionate about limiting the information that people share, especially when it comes to their big, you know, their Bitcoin uh, life or their Bitcoin entity, if you like. Um, it's something that seems so innocent at first and the consequences unfortunately can't be uh, really, you know, people losing their life savings. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the ledger stuff. Cause I actually, uh, on a, on a previous episode, I, um, I received one of those emails. So I was in that database. Now, luckily I was in an entirely different continent to where I am now, not even my home, but yeah, they had my personal address, credit card name, all that kind of stuff. Now I I was smart enough to use a sort of a temporary email address and um, different phone number, not temporary email address, but you know, sort of an alias email address, but um, yeah, I got those emails as well. And I would hate to be living at that address right now. So um on, on that note, I guess these sort of privacy mistakes, and it's certainly something that I've learned. Do you have any um, sort of gotchas or anything you'd be willing to share in terms of um, uh, privacy planning? In terms of what, mistakes that I've made or? Sure, mistakes you've made or mistakes other people make or common mistakes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the most common one is... Um, and I made these mistakes is signing up with multiple different KYC um, uh, on ramps. Um, yeah, all I will say is, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that buying via no KYC is or feels out of reach for most people that enter the space. And most people are going to to initially on ramp through through a centralized service like Cash App. All I will say is you limit the way you share that information. So if you're going to go down that route, just sign up with one. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't need to sign up with multiple. You know, they might offer a, a very um, enticing sort of, um, let's say, discount on your first purchase or something like that. Um, but just just always have in the back of your mind that you, um, the, what trade off are you making by sharing that information? You know, I've just given you some perfect examples of the the ramifications of of doing that. You know, willy nilly. So if you're going to do it, limit limit who you who you share that information with. Um, yeah, I guess um, after that, we could probably go down the route of some uh, tools that you, that people can take to sort of, you know, I don't want to o- overwhelm the listeners um, and sort of, uh, you know, there's a lot of scary stuff that I've just talked about there. And, and ultimately, if you've already signed up with, with a, you know, a centralized service, you can't uh, sort of erase that. Uh, the best thing you can do is to start taking small steps uh, day by day to sort of take back some of your privacy and sovereignty. So do you think it'd be good if we sort of covered off some of the, some of the tools maybe that people could use Absolutely. to do that? That was, that? that was perhaps my next question. Someone's bought some Bitcoin on Coinbase or Binance and they want to be more private. What should they do? Yeah. So first step is get that 
Bitcoin off the exchange. Uh, I know this is something that you guys talk about every single week on your podcast. Um, just get it into um, a wallet where you control the private keys. Um, I'll use a, a, a self-shill here. And if you go to bitcoiner.guide slash wallet, um, all of the most popular wallets, um, be it mobile, desktop, uh, hardware, they're all listed there. So you can go on and, and sort of uh, look at which one might um uh, might be a good fit for you. Um, my first step, I would say, is just grab yourself a mobile wallet, um, Samurai Wallet, if you've got an Android phone, or Blue Wallet for iOS users um, are two of the really simple ones. Um, Moon Wallet, M-U-U-N, is another non-custodial wallet where you control the private keys. Anything where you control the private keys is um, a 10,000 times improvement over leaving your Bitcoin on an exchange. You can be sure then that if um, the 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 exchange turns uh, insolvent tomorrow, uh, which thankfully we haven't seen for uh, a couple of years now, um, but isn't outside of the realms of possibility, if you've got control of those private keys, you are in control of that Bitcoin, um, and you're not at that you're not at, at liberty to um, sort of go down with the sinking ship if the exchange was to fail. So once you've got it, um, your Bitcoin into your, you know, that's that's kind of step one. Um, you can then, you know, we've talked about coin join services and um, perhaps might not be uh, the next natural step for newcomers, uh, but something certainly worth looking at. Uh, we talked about using new addresses. So if you're buying regularly, make sure that you receive to new addresses each time. Um, your wallet will serve you a brand new address every time you hit receive or every time that you receive to one address it'll know that that's got some bitcoin in it and it'll show you the next empty one um another good option is to um if your wallet allows for it and the two that i mentioned blue wallet and samurai both do this um they allow you to add labels onto your bitcoin uh, or onto your pieces of bitcoin so why might that be useful um so let's say um i did a purchase on um hodl hodl um, and then I also uh, got paid some Bitcoin for a contracting job that I did. Um, I could label both of those to say, okay, uh, I've just got a payment from Gordon for some contract work. Uh, so I could label that as payment from Gordon. Um, I could also label my hodl-hodl purchase as peer-to-peer -peer purchase. Um, what that will do in the future then um, is allow me to make an educated decision as to who I spend those pieces of Bitcoin to in the future. Um, you know, I might be um, spending to another third party and I might not want them to know that I've got anything to do with Gordon because Gordon might be a bad guy or that the person that I'm paying might think that Gordon is a bad guy. Um, so if I've got those robust labels in my wallet, um, it will allow me just to make an educated decision to go, okay, well, I know that I don't want that person to know that I've got anything to do with Gordon. So I'm going to use my peer-to-peer -peer purchase Bitcoin to make that payment. And these wallets making that labeling function really easy now. Um, it, it can be a bit of a pain in the in the backside to remember if you're transacting regularly. Um, but the, the reality is most people are just um, stacking sats on a regular basis. Um, so it's, it's more for when you're getting Bitcoin from... Um, different sources, if you like, is where labeling kind of comes into, into its own. Um, and then I guess we're getting into the realms of um, looking at maybe getting a hardware wallet um, or running 
uh, your own Bitcoin node so that you can verify your own transactions and not have to rely, or you can sort of remove another trusted third party. Uh, so I use an example. If you were to download Blue Wallet, um, you are connected to the Blue Wallet node. So what does that mean? That essentially means that Blue Wallet is telling your wallet um, and the addresses that are controlled by your private keys, how much Bitcoin you've got. So there is a certain level of trust there um, in terms of trusting that they are telling you that you've received the correct amount of Bitcoin. Um, we've not really seen any sort of um, malicious attacks like this, um, but there is still that level of trust there. So to be able to remove that, um, you, the next step would be to, to look at running your own node. Uh, not an absolute requirement, as I say, something to work towards um, as you uh, sort of fall down the, the rabbit hole a little bit further. Absolutely fantastic advice. And uh, yeah, really practical too, as you said, you don't have to have everything. You don't have to be running a full node on day one, but um, yeah, just kind of level up. It's kind of like a computer game. You know, you kind of finish level one, you beat that boss and you destroy them and you move on to the next one. So um, one of the things I really appreciate your wallet guard, I'm just looking at now is the compare feature. So for me, there are actually some showstoppers. There are some things that would actually stop me using a wallet and you've got a lot of the, the metrics in there. So um, definitely everyone head across to bitcoiner.guide slash wallets. Um, and, and some of the wallets are not available on the different mobile platforms um, and the hardware wallets, you've got different features as well. So um, really, really appreciate that. And at the end of the day, guys, just guys and girls, just, I mean, as, as you were saying, you know, keep it simple. Just get your Bitcoins off the exchange. You know, if you've got a little bit of Bitcoin, use a mobile wallet. That's fine. If you've got a significant amount, use a hardware wallet. But just start with there. Like, don't, don't you know, spend six months trying to get the, the most private setup ever. Just, just start it, especially with a little amount. So that's kind of the, the, the hardest thing to get started. Yeah, um, another piece of advice I'd like to give everybody list that's listening as well is mm. with the exception of maybe one or two on that wallet guide, everything is absolutely free. So you can download every single one of these if you want to and just try them, see what which user interface uh, hits home with you. Um, you know, the the a lot of them um, have a testnet option so that you can get some testnet Bitcoin absolutely free. And if you screw something up, it really doesn't matter. Um, but that's a really good way where you can get used to uh, sending, receiving, um, and using the different features of the wallet without fear of um, losing any of your hard-earned sats. Uh, but equally, uh, for the ones that don't have a testnet option, the, the network is really, really quiet at the moment, which means that the fees to transact um, are about as cheap as they can be um, as defined by, by the protocol. So if you were to just send a couple of transactions back and forth between these different wallets just to get to grips with it, it's only going to cost you a couple of hundred sats at the moment, which is, you know, it, it's pennies. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of getting your hands dirty and just trying out the different uh, wallet implementations, be it mobile, lightning, hardware, um, just practice, 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 um, because uh, it will definitely help you in the future. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, Bitcoin is, I wouldn't say complicated, but there's so many steps involved and, you know, you can kind of get this analysis paralysis where you watch a million YouTube videos, blog posts, and you kind of, it's all too overwhelming, but just do it, you know, just start. It, 
you know, if it's, we, we talk about Satoshi's or even just, you know, $20 worth or whatever, just start with something. If you, the absolute worst case scenario is you lose your private keys or you do, you make an enormous mistake, you lose $20. So not really the end of the world. Whereas you don't want to be playing around with the hardware wallets. It's got 50,000 or a hundred thousand on. So better to make a mistake now than, uh, than later on. Um, we have hit an hour. So how about we wrap this up? Do you have any sort of final thoughts, conclusions, um, especially for beginners and people who maybe they even have Bitcoin or they're wanting to buy Bitcoin, um, maybe some encouragement and sort of practical advice, maybe, or, or just a summary of what you've said. Yeah. Definitely. All I'll say is, like I said, that there is some um, potentially scary stuff to some people that we've talked about today. Don't let that overwhelm you. Um, I kind of like to use it as a as a bit of a shock tactic to 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 uh, spur people into action. Um, but don't sort of beat yourself up if you think, oh well, I've done some of the things that that we've spoken about today. Um, and I, you know, don't get yourself down about it. Um, the fact is you can make a difference from day one um, by uh, you know, following some of the tips that we've talked about by holding your own keys or by exploring an OKYC option or to start moving to an, a wallet where you can uh, use different, uh, you can uh, send to a different address each time um, or just being able to practice um, sending and receiving transactions on testnet. Um, yeah, don't, don't get overwhelmed. Don't beat yourself up over the the quote unquote mistakes that you you think you've made in the past, and um, just take small actionable steps um, to sort of to start taking back your sovereignty um, day by day. Don't try and do everything within a day because you're just going to get overwhelmed um, and probably give up after a couple of hours. Set yourself a little a little milestone target to say, okay, this week um, I'm going to get my Bitcoin off uh, off the exchange. Next week uh, I'm going to buy a hardware wallet and I'm going to uh, practice some testnet transactions with it before I put any real Bitcoin on it. Um, next week, uh, I'm going to um, practice um, recovering that hardware wallet. You know, I'm going to put $5 of Bitcoin on there and then I'm going to wipe it and I'm going to practice recovering it to check that I'm comfortable with that process before I put any more Bitcoin on it. Then you might look at CoinJoin and a node. It, you know, it's a journey that's going to take, you know, I've been in the space for properly for sort of two years and I'm still learning new stuff every single day. It, the, the rabbit hole never stops. So just start making small actionable changes. Um, and you know, in, in 12 months, you'll be absolutely stunned at how far you've come. Couldn't have said it better myself. Get your hands dirty and just start. Um, really appreciate your, your pragmatic approach uh, to this. Um, I mean, we've only covered the sort of the basics and even an overview of privacy. We didn't really get down to some of the tools and, and techniques. So um, perhaps if you're willing, I uh, would love to love you to come on again and discuss perhaps something else like coin joins or uh, any other topics you've got on your website. Um, now you would think we're competitors and this is the amazing thing about the Bitcoin space. Um, you, I mean, we basically provide custody solutions for uh, individuals and businesses. We have a help desk, but you provide support as well. Do you still do the support service for people? 
Yeah, not something that I shill uh, very often, but I do offer um, a sort of a one-on-one support service where um, people can come to me and, and say that, um, you know, I've just bought a hardware wallet and I want you to, you know, guide me through setting it up and recovering with it and sending a transaction with it. Or uh, I want to learn about CoinJoin or Lightning Network. Um, so they can come spend an hour with me uh, on the phone where I can guide them through whatever topic it is they want to uh, they want to talk about. Um, and then it's done on a value for value basis where I sort of, um, nobody pays me up front. Uh, we have the call and then I just say to people, okay, look, um, you pay me what you think that hour's worth. What value did you get out of that? Um, I have a suggested price on there, but people are absolutely um, uh, at liberty to pay whatever they want um, based on on the value that they feel like they've got. Um, it's it's obviously uh, I'm just one man, uh, so I'm limited on time. I do have a full time job as well, um, but yeah, if if anybody wants to take advantage of that, they can um, go through the contact uh, section of my website and we can um, get a call scheduled in. Fantastic. Well, once again, everyone, Bitcoiner.guide is an amazing resource. Um, I was just impressed with, for example, the wallet page. Like even within that wallet page, you had you know all the different wallets and the comparisons, and yeah, really comprehensive. And yes, as you said, it can be overwhelming, but it's a start. Just start with one basic concept, um, and then sort of you know uh, go from there. So once again, yeah, thanks, thanks for coming onto the show. Um, and uh, yeah, if you will have us, or we will have you. Either way, um, we'd love to have you back on to uh, have a chat about something else. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to come back on there. Let's get that scheduled in. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit coincompass.com for more information and please contact us.